Dwayne Lammers. Hey, Dwayne, it's Mike Novak from Q4 Radio in Chicago. Yes, sir. I'm uh, so glad to have you on board, Keith. And uh, you are on the radio right now, by the way, Dwayne. Yes, we're, okay. we're, we are live. And, uh, okay. And how did we pronounce Keith's last name again? Ani. Ani uh, is with you, and I guess you guys are, are, you're, are you're buddies, right? Uh, yeah. We've known each other quite a few years. Quite a while. Yep. Well, how did that start? Uh, well, this Buffalo world is kind of a small world, so that's one of the key things to understand. There, there are only a few of us playing in this game, so... Dwayne's an old an old Buffalo Wrangler from way back. We both are a bit of white-haired guys, so uh-huh. you know, we've been at this a while. <laughs> All right, I'm trying one more uh, call here to uh, Wade Spang at um, Midaywin. Hello? Hey, Wade, is that you? That's me. Oh, my goodness. Good we've morning. Got, we're, I think I'm going to quit while I'm ahead here, all right, because uh, we've got Keith Onay and uh, Dwayne Lammers on the phone as well, um, and uh, we're talking bison today or buffalo okay well you know let's start right there some people use them interchangeably and maybe keith or uh, Dwayne want to uh explain the difference between bison and buffalo this is keith and and and, and actually i use the term interchangeably and part of it is uh, just uh, you know tradition the the the, the old world buffalo is a, is a different genera than the bison world and so if you're a taxonomic guy you might fret over this but to be honest We've sort of given up in in biology about arguing over buffalo and bison, <laughs> and and part of it has to do with you know the buffalo of Asia and um, uh, you know Africa are are quite different in a lot of respects. They live in a different climate, have different adaptations. The North American bison, which is the technically correct term, is really cold adapted, and that's that's one of the big differences. Most of those. Asian African buffalo are warm weather adapted, and and so the the other thing that's happened is when the French first came out, they they started giving names to things, and so did the Spanish, and you know, so language being what it is, they they came up with a bufo and eventually buffalo, and and then we told everybody that's what it was, and so I think it's pretty hard to reel that one back in. So <laughs> we tend to use them interchangeably now. The American bison is the taxonomic and correct term. One of the reasons that Dwayne Lammers is on the phone, um, Dwayne, you're a, a movie consultant, and, and you, you have a ranch where the 1991 Academy Award-winning film Dances with Wolves was uh, filmed. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that experience and, and how it relates to bison? Well, it's, it's uh, actually, I was operating the, I don't currently, I'm not currently on that ranch anymore. I operated that for 25 years on western South Dakota. But I think one of the things that that happened with the Dance with Wolves movie was up until then, I don't think people really thought there really any buffalo or bison hardly left. And I think one thing that that movie did was really uh, reintroduce uh, the animal to the greater public. Mm-hmm. So that was a good thing. I mean, as far as um, movie goes, I mean, it's a uh, I look at it as one of the many ways we can market bison. Uh, it's been something we've done a lot over the years. I've actually had them in downtown L.A. a couple times. Mm. Um, so we're, uh, and I think one of the, one of the things I've really focused on over the years is 
understanding their behavior. I, I grew up on a cattle ranch, which my family still operates, and uh, I worked with a lot of purebred breeders over the years when I was through college. And one of the things I really liked about the bison was it wasn't an animal that we spent a lot of time trying to make better. Um, I think they're an excellent animal just as they are. They have a lot of attributes if you're raising them that just makes them so much easier to uh, take care of. Um, I Actually, it's very easy to take care of bison compared to cattle. Really? So. What's, what's, what's the advantage uh, with bison? Uh, well, a couple of things. I've, had, I've, I've seen uh, blizzards come into western South Dakota that killed cattle. Uh, adults as well as young calves, and I've had that same, and I've had a thousand cows that were calving out on the flat open prairie, and and these were blizzards that came right at the tail end of April, so they were those where the snow disappeared in about three or four days, and I have never lost a buffalo in a blizzard. Um, back in, and so they, I've actually seen them stop calving a day or so before a blizzard comes. Uh, if you think about it, the ones that survived over the centuries are the ones that uh, figured out uh, how to hold it, so to speak. Uh, and, and I think there's just uh, things like that that the animals naturally do. They, they tend to go to water and leave it. They don't camp on water holes. Um, I would expect that might be because maybe predators tended to uh, watch the water holes you know when they might have an opportunity at them you know there's but they're just uh, I, I just don't have to worry about them I, like I told people I used to watch the weather all the time when I ran cattle getting prepared to get them up to shelter whatever I needed to do and with bison if uh, a blizzard hits I throw another log on the fire and make a pot of coffee and read a book don't worry about it <laughs> wow well, one of the things when we went out and visited with Wade Spang, who's also on the phone, he's, by the way, the Prairie Supervisor for the USDA Forest Service Midewin National Tallgrass Prairie in Wilmington, Illinois. And it's uh, just it's a couple hours out of Chicago, folks, if you want to go down there and see buffalo or bison or whatever you want to call them. Dwayne and Keith, one of the things we learned on Friday is that these are social animals, but also they're cautious that uh, one of the things, uh, you know, we talked to um, Kelly Gutnecht, uh, the, uh, who's a range management specialist there, and she was telling us uh, how, how they approach the animals. So it takes me back to the movie and, and working with them. You weren't, you know, this is not an animal, Dwayne, that you're going to get to do tricks, right? But in, in filming that, were they just background uh, how did how did you engage the animals uh, in the service of the film? Well, a lot of the the um, the original large chases that happened at uh, the Hawk Ranch, which uh, was another ranch that we were doing they were doing stuff with. At the time, the Hawks had four thousand head of buffalo, and I only had about a thousand. So some of the first big scenes were done at the Hawk Ranch, and you know the thing is, is I think they just kind of you know, jumped in and, and started a chase with a lot of cameras. Um, I think what we learned later on is when Costner came back to do Wyatt Earp was, and what I've done a lot in the, since then is, is uh, a lot of film is a, especially with 
what you're doing with the animals is a few seconds here and there. And what I did, particularly with with wide herp and so forth, was uh, we took that thousand or two thousand out of animals and really kind of positioned them for the shots. And actually, they were just a lot of those were hundred yard dashes. Um, in fact, I remember there was one uh, commercial we did where we uh, brought the animals up to a spot with some uh, treats, uh, I, and we uh, had them standing there. And I just told the guys that had one shot at this because they were wanting to do a at after sundown, uh, and I didn't want animals or people to get hurt in the dark, uh, so we did a few minutes after sundown. But we literally uh, did a big chase. Animals were doing the stampede thing. We stopped after uh, it was probably about a quarter mile, and everybody kind of quit. We left. Buffalo kind of looked at us like they weren't sure what happened there, but then they came back <laughs> and ate the So, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of uh, the animals are it's just working with them. I think where people have... Where people have gotten injured with the animals is trying to get, they, they think they're tame and they get into their space. And what happens is they, they get literally within, a, uh, you know, four or five feet of the animals to get a self, selfie. And and bison have a certain fight or flight zone. And kind of like if you're going to get right in their face, they're going to move you away. And I think that's where a lot of the, because uh, mostly animals will move away from you if you, yeah, if they have a place to go, you know, it's uh, I've I had that experience, and I don't, and I'm not saying they're the same animal or anything, but um, uh, I used to have a vacation home in the Pacific Northwest, and um, the elk would come down from the mountains, and uh, you could, if you moved toward them, it, it was very, it was actually very, very funny, because they would just sort of, they didn't run. They would saunter away. If you moved a step, they would move a step. You moved another step, they moved another step. You know, they had there was almost a space. They they knew exactly where they wanted to be in re, in regard to uh, humans. Um, and yet, you realize that, as you pointed out just now, these are not these are not pets. Okay, and I think some folks uh, have that idea uh, that they might be, and that's. Uh, where they get their, themselves in trouble, uh, don't they, Keith? Well, yeah, that's that's exactly the case. And part of this is, and Dwayne hit on some really good points, that, one, we want bison to be bison, and they have very strong behavioral adaptations to to live in the environments they live in and actually to live with humans. Just bear in mind, humans have been interacting with bison for 12,000 years and so they know exactly, you know, what to expect and, and how to expect it. And this is a, one of the traps we get into is we think they are not particularly bright and a, a bit stolid and stupid, but in fact, they're just the opposite. And this is where Cattleman and Dwayne made this transition. He's one of the early guys to do this, began to recognize the difference, the behavioral differences between, say, a bison and, and cattle. And where we get in trouble is thinking of them as just another black cow. And humans just uh, don't understand them. They are a bit of a lost species. And this is why we get these events occasionally in Yellowstone, where people see these buffalo, think they're tame, come up very close to them, and the next thing you know, they're tossed in the air. 
So it is really, you know, our human perceptions and misperceptions, I guess, of this animal that get us in trouble. And if we understand them well, and people like Dwayne are teaching us this, we actually are very able to live alongside and with bison and to even manage them quite well, yet keep them, you know, fully functional bison, not not just some, you know, t- tamed animal. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Keith is the uh, bison program director for the Wildlife Conservation Society. Tell me what your organization is doing uh, in the Buffalo realm. Well, yeah, we're kind of a, an old organization. We're actually, uh, it, it go back to the late 1800s, 1895, and um, started uh, essentially by Theodore Roosevelt and a lot of the early conservationists. Uh, the New York Zoological Society was our early name because they owned all the zoos of New York and were trying to present animals and educate people about animals um, in the New York geography because there was this disconnect that they could see happening. And part of their mission was to not just present the animals in a zoological setting, but to teach and to, to actually practice conservation and protection of the species in, in, in broader geographies. So we actually work in 60 countries around the world. We have a North America program. Our North America program has a bison component to it. It's one of our priority species. And that stems from actually part of our history because a branch on our tree is the American Bison Society. And the American Bison Society was started in 1905. There's a group of of really excellent conservation champions that stepped up to the plate and said, we're going to do something to save this species before it's extinct. And indeed they did. And working in concert with some uh, ranchers and other private individuals and as a private organization, they assembled and restored bison to areas in the West. And so they actually gathered some of these buffalo in the New York City, believe it or not, and at the Bronx Zoo and then shipped them out West and created new um, herds of, of bison for public enjoyment. So our organization has long been involved in the bison recovery and restoration mission. And uh, we sort of revamped it in 2005, and we started what we call the second recovery of American bison. And and as Dwayne has pointed out, people are really getting reacquainted with bison in many places, in many geographies, when they had been lost, that connection had been lost for so long. That's uh, Keith Oney, uh, who's uh, with the Wildlife Conservation Society. You heard Dwayne Lammers a bison and ecology specialist uh, who has worked on uh, several films utilizing bison. So now we go, you gave us a good segue there, Keith, because uh, people uh, in Illinois haven't seen bison in the wild apparently since about 1808 is what I read. I don't know if that's exactly right, but uh, Wade Spang is the prairie supervisor at Medewin National Tallgrass Prairie. We went, met with him on Friday, and uh, first of all, Wade, we just had the best time talking to you guys in the room and 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 geeking out on the species it was really really fun and and not just that species but all the species that you're managing there one of the things we discovered while we were there is that seven of the uh chicago wilderness priority species are at medewin national tall grass prairie 
Um, that was that was surprising. Um, and then we learned about uh, how the lands are being managed and the introduction of bison back to Illinois and it, at the tall grass prairie. Uh, Wade, talk a little bit about uh, what you're hoping to achieve with the grand experiment. Uh, and, and, you, and you spoke about it as an experiment uh, out there uh, in Wilmington, Illinois, uh, in bringing the bison back. Yes, um, like Keith and Duane were saying uh, about bison and how they graze and how they interact with with the with the landscape uh, with the the land out there in different places, we too wanted to bring them here so that they would interact uh, with our landscape in restoring tall grass prairie. And uh, we uh, we want to make sure that this herd is a conservation herd, like was mentioned earlier here with Keith and that uh, we keep them as close as we can to a conservation herd. Our experiment is on 1,200 acres, sorry. And we plan to uh, have them uh, graze that area in the way that bison graze, which is different than cattle. Uh, Bison will graze grasses and they'll leave forbs which is very important in the sense of different diversity in species as birds, as you were mentioned uh, here earlier. And those species uh, like different sizes of grass, meaning short grass like your lawn, uh, medium grass, maybe like uh, an area that hasn't been mowed, and, and of course, tall grass areas. And each species likes that that area to live in, nest in, and uh, live in. And so the bison will help us do that in a, in a grand way on this 1,200 acres. The key point here is that uh, they can graze in a way that allows for diversity to come uh, and be here at Medewin and also graze certain species and leave certain species uh, that uh, help in the restoration of a tall grass prairie. That's the fascinating part, is and Wade took us out there, and uh, Keith and Dwayne, uh, I'm sure you're aware of this. You guys uh, out in western Great Plains are dealing with uh, shorter grass, um, and here in Illinois, which I guess is considered the eastern prairie, um, it's we can get six, seven, eight-foot-tall grasses, um, and... Uh, Wade showed us areas where the, the, the buffalo had grazed, and as he mentioned, they leave the forbs, which are flowering plants for people uh, not familiar with the term forb. So you get, you get the flowers, and they leave the, the flowers, and the seed heads are there, which help feed birds and other species. Um, and there are varying heights where the buffalo have grazed, unlike cattle, uh, as Wade pointed out, that'll just eat everything to the ground. Is uh, Dwayne? Is that your experience? Yeah, there's. I, I think what Wade's pointed out is exactly right. You know, I've been working with uh, Wade since the inception of this idea, and I and I. By the way, I'm tickled to death. I think it's a fantastic project that uh, Wade's got going out there. Uh, but that's exactly right. That mosaic of of plant heights and the difference and uh, plants the animals graze is a very important factor um, for the as far as the ecology of the area that makes that's really what it's all about and i think if you think about it you know the, the bison evolved with uh, deer 
pronghorn and so forth, where those animals actually ate more of the forbs and the bison concentrated on the uh, on the forbs and brush. I mean, bison concentrated on the grass, so the other ones were looking at the forbs and brush. So, you know, those uh, in that uh, hair, that, uh, that down that the buffalo shared in the spring when some of the birds need a little bit of nesting materials, pretty advantageous too. So they're, they've got a nice mixture there of what's going on. Uh, and one thing we, we didn't mention, uh, and part of the reason we're doing this today, is that next Saturday, uh, November 5th, is National Bison Day at Medewin National Tallgrass Prairie. Um, I'm not sure uh, who wants to, to speak on this. Is this is this something that's been celebrated before, or is this brand new, and is it just uh, for Medewin? Maybe I can weigh in because I kind of started this. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, 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 this, this goes back to exactly what Dwayne was saying, is we, we began to look at the the – the notion of restoring the second, doing the second recovery of bison in 2005. And one of the key things we looked at is we need to have both the scientific basis, which was just discussed, and then we need to have a social basis for supporting bison recovery. And and so we do both. And, and that the social basis, we begin to see that People didn't perceive this animal in the right way. They had a lot of mistaken perceptions, or they didn't see it at all. <clears throat> and so we, we set about devising ways to raise the profile of the species in the American um, discussion and dialogue of wildlife. And so one of the things that I had brainstormed was the concept of making bison our national mammal. And we pitched this idea to some partners, the National Bison Association, which is principally the producer group, um, and then the Intertribal Buffalo Council, um, that is the tribal uh, groups that are doing bison conservation and restoration for cultural purposes. And it really caught fire, and we, we brought it to Congress through uh, the, an act called the National Bison Legacy Act. And that act, it took a few years and some dancing. Um, I don't know if you'd call it dancing with wolves, but it might have felt <laughs> at times like that. Uh, but we we ended up with a passage of this act in uh, two, uh, just recently, and President Obama signed the the, the bill last year. And they actually it, actually he, really he, a, he signed it this year in May May ninth May ninth yeah, it was, it was yeah. in May. I, I keep thinking of. Uh, this is probably being old as years start to blend together. But <laughs> the, uh, the the situation being that that we then designated bison as a national mammal under that act. Prior to that, we had passed four resolutions each year, and I have to credit Senator Enzi from Wyoming. He and others joined forces, and and actually each year they've got these resolutions passed. So this is actually. Uh, we're, we're several years into having National Bison Day, and this is this it includes having celebrations across the country. And so we've had hundreds of these at this point in different places. So, for example, um, all of Ted Turner's uh, you know restaurants, his his restaurants offered special deals on National Bison Day. Different groups have had presentations and lectures and you know different events. So uh, this year, fortunately, with passage of the act, we give it a little more attention, and we actually hired a national coordinator, and she's reached out to folks at Medellin and Wind Cave and other places. So we have events going on around the nation 
but Medellin is a, a really cool one. I think it's really neat because it's it's close to such a huge urban area, and it gives us an outreach to a, a much, much larger audience. So I'll let the folks at Medellin speak to the specifics of that event. Go ahead, Wade. Sure, Mike. Uh, yeah, as you said here, we're going to have our first National Bison Day uh, event here Saturday, November 5th, from 9 a.m. to noon. And uh, uh, we're located between Elwood and Wilmington on Highway 53 there, and you can stop in at the office. The exact event will be up at our Iron Bridge Trailhead where uh, we took you uh, on Friday there. Right. And the neat thing about that is, number one, it's being the first one, and number two, uh, Dwayne is going to be our featured speaker there. And he's going to be able to talk to folks, and folks are going to be able to talk to him plus uh, some of my staff there and interact with us. And then hopefully they can, after that, they can take a walk on the trail and uh, go out and uh, see if they can uh, explore and see uh, bison out there. Um, it's not always a given that you will see bison, but uh, <laughs> uh, at some time, if you keep coming back and exploring, you you will see that conservation herd. You know, I think that's an important point, and 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 Peggy and I teased this earlier in the show uh, about whether we saw bison or not, and we did not. We did not see the bison, and I I don't think that spoiled the day at all for us um, because now we have to come back and do that. But that's the point. It's not a zoo. All right, it's it's a natural area, and the bison are entitled to the, to their privacy. They're entitled to roam where they can on the thousand acres or so, uh, and uh, and it's up to folks to uh, have the uh, the energy and per- perseverance to come out and see them. But I think it's kind of fun that Dwayne, you're going to be there. Keith, you're going to be there. Um, uh, of course, Wade, you will be there, and folks can come and talk to Dwayne and say, ask uh, what it's like to hang out with Kevin Costner, right? Yeah, there you go. We can do that. <laughs> um, I, well, before we let you go, I got we just got a few more minutes here. Um, I, there are a couple of questions that uh, I'm really curious about, especially from uh, Keith and Wade. Uh, I'm sorry, Keith and uh, uh, Dwayne, um, because you guys have been doing this a long time. There must be a sense of awe. Uh, watching the buffalo come back in America, the bison, uh, because if you've been doing this, if you're white-haired guys, I assume you've been doing it for decades uh, when, <laughs> at, at a time when the numbers weren't as great as they are now. Apparently, we've got, what, 300,000 or 500,000 uh, head in, uh, in the country or in North America and 30,000 on natural lands. Uh, is that about right? Yeah, you bet. And, and by the way, Dwayne is a member of our group, so we, we embrace lots of diversity and, and interesting folks in that group, so it's a lot of fun. Um, and and what's happened is the commercial industry is down a little bit. That's where you got to 300000 It It was 500000 but it waxes and wanes with market forces. But the uh, conservation herds have been pretty steady and, and growing steadily as we as we find new areas for bison across north america and this is the wonder of it all Uh, we just did a 10-year report card at our american bison society meeting in canada not but two weeks ago excuse me and and so it is pretty exciting and i think Dwayne would agree we're seeing you know real interest in this animal public attention to it um, policymaker attention to it and actual restoration projects on the ground. So 
not just Medewin. Medewin's wonderful story, but other places. There's a place north of Fort Collins. There's a reintroduction going on in Banff National Park. Uh, we're working myself specifically with the Blackfeet Project in Glacier Waterton area. There's a bison restoration effort underfoot in uh, in Grand Canyon, reshaping that herd. There were recently bison reintroduced to the Yano in 2009. So in the last decade, we've had tremendous progress in thinking differently about bison, recognizing its value and importance, and actually doing things on the ground to restore them so they have that ecological functionality once again that they once uh, displayed to um, our, you know, our historical um, travelers of the, in the West. And we should bear in mind, I'm going to throw this in real quick if there's a minute, they actually lived east of the Mississippi. Uh, Illinois was a great buffalo area in Indiana and down to Kansas, but also as far as Virginia and as far south as even the Florida coastlines at times. They extended across the eastern areas as well, wherever there were big meadowlands and, and opportunities to find grass. So, you know, it, it's an adventure for all of us in, in the United States and actually North America. And that's the fun part about this. Uh, let me ask you one uh, question here before we go. And, and I will plug the uh, event on National uh, Bison Day one more time before we go. Um, what about the genetic diversity? Since we narrowed the uh, herd in in North America, some I've read that it might have gotten as low as 300. Other places say 1,000 head uh, around 1,900. Um, and in the 100 years since, 100-plus years since, uh, some of them have been bred with cattle. So what, what kind of – is there any genetic purity, and does it matter? The word purity is a strange word, and, it, and for geneticists today, as we can tease apart – genome so readily it it almost adds to con- confusing us even more what i like to point to is there's important lineages out there and the important lineages that are some are free of cattle genes some might have a small amount of cattle gene in them and we had a huge conference on this sort of worked this all out at tulsa oklahoma in 2011 and and we really just said you know what we're not going to worry so much about that 1% or 2% of cattle genes. We're going to worry about keeping those lineages that are free of cattle genes away from that. But but those other lineages are also important. So we be, we become better lumpers, so to speak, and, and not worrying so much about that. What we want to do is preserve the important genes in there that make bison function well and, and thrive. And what we really are trying to do is let Mother Nature sort that out a bit. If we start muddling around in it, it gets even worse sometimes. So Mother Nature will sort that out. If there are cattle genes in there or deleterious genes of any type in there, Mother Nature selects them out. And if we let that happen, we're going to get to a better place for bison, and its future is assured genetically. And that's kind of where we're at. Um, So... We're not spending a lot of time now trying to sort, you know, animals out because you can throw the baby out with the bathwater. We were very fortunate at the turn of the century that bison were saved in disparate parts of its range, meaning we grabbed a little bit of genes from each part of its big range from the south to the north. And as a result, we captured a lot of the diversity, even though they went through this bottleneck, the thousand animals counted in 
1889 by William Hornaday, our patriarch, it probably got down lower than that. We don't know how low because nobody was protecting them then. But however low it got, they came through that bottleneck with genes from lots of different parts of their range. And as we expanded the herds quickly, rather rapidly, we retained that diversity. So we're very, very fortunate to come through that bottleneck. Many species around the globe are not that fortunate, and as a result are, are severely depauperate in diversity of ge genetics. Bison actually have a pretty high diversity and, and, and survived what would be a, normally a very, very tight bottleneck, and it's partly because both uh, uh, human intervention and recovery efforts brought their numbers back rapidly after that happened. All right, before I let you all go, Wade, I want you to have the last word and tell people what you think they should be looking for when they come out to Medea when either you know, a week from, well, next Saturday, next Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to noon, uh, or any other time uh, to check out uh, the bison. What, what should they look for in regard to the bison, but also in regard to Medewin in general? Sure, uh when you come out here, uh, of course, you want to come out here and uh, take take an exploration and go uh, look for the bison. Uh, you can stop by the office here or call and uh, kind of find out uh, the day and maybe if somebody has seen them, so you kind of kind of know where they're at. Maybe you'd like to walk and see that part of it. You can come and enjoy them uh, and the prairie by hiking our trails. Uh, you can also come and enjoy the prairie by bicycling or also by horseback. And uh, let me tell you, uh, there's just lots to see, even if you uh, do not see bison or as you're or walking along exploring bison uh, area. You will see tall grass prairie that's over eight feet tall there. You'll see fall colors like you've never saw before, up close, browns, purples, yellows, uh, tans. You will see different species of birds flying around if you're here early in the morning. There's just a ton of things to see here uh, if you take the time and want to unplug a little bit from the busyness of the world. And uh, just a little thing, a snippet here. I know it's, I'm going to just do a list, but we have 15 threatened and endangered species that are located here. You might see those. If you know your plants, there's 275 different types of plants that you would see. Uh, we have uh, different types of mammals here other than the bison. We have the, the eagle also out here that you might be able to see that. That's our nation's bird. And if you like uh, reptiles, uh, we have different, uh, we have over 15 uh, different species of reptiles. We have 22 miles of trail that you can hike, ride your bike on our horse and explore the prairie. So come out and enjoy. It's all yours. It's public land. It's for you to enjoy. And it's, it's a great place to learn about nature. Here at Midday, when we are nature keepers, and we plan to do that in the future, and uh, and we want you to come out and enjoy us. That's uh, well put, Wade. Uh, thank you uh, so much. That's uh, Wade Spang, who's the Prairie Supervisor at Medewin National Tall Grass Prairie. We've also had Keith Ani, um, Bison Program Director, Wildlife Conservation Society, and Dwayne Lammers, Bison and Ecology Specialist, and Film 
consultant as well. They're all going to be at National Bison Day at Medewin National Tallgrass Prairie next Saturday, 9 to noon. Stop by. The experts are there. You can ask questions. Of course, uh, you can also ask them, where do you see the bison? And that's that was one of the funny things uh, uh, when we were there on Friday, Wade, is that the different groups of people were talking to each other. You know, you pass each other on the trail. Have you seen any bison? <laughs> Have you seen any bison? And, Are they this way? Are they that way? Yeah, which way should we go here? And uh, and everybody's uh, helping each other out, and it's, it's pretty cool. So uh, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, we could go on for hours, I'm sure, but... Uh, uh, we'll let people have their own conversations with you, and you guys uh, all have a great Sunday. You too, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.